Well, welcome. If it's your first time here, we are honored that you're visiting us this morning. Want to welcome those of you watching online. Want to welcome our Hope City campuses, the men and women that are joining us this week out at our Hope City campuses. I'm excited because we're launching a new uh, four-part series today called The Vow. Uh, this series is based on a, a series that Pastor Craig Groeschel from Life Church did. That series was based on a book that Jimmy Evans wrote called Marriage on the rock. And you've probably noticed, right, whether it's in your life or in uh, the lives of your family members, friends, coworkers, and neighbors, right, you, you've probably seen that marriages are struggling, right? Wh whether it's in your own life or someone you know, we, we, we all either have experienced it at one point or time or another in our marriage, or we, we've seen it in the lives of those we love, <coughs> excuse me, that marriages are struggling. And I, I believe that is not acceptable to God and, and that God wants so much more for us in our marriages, that he wants us to experience his best in our marriage relationship. So for the next four weeks, that's what we're gonna do as a church. We're gonna invest in the lives of those who one day will be married so that one day, maybe years later, they won't look back and say, man, I wish I would have known that then. But right now, you can be equipped with spiritual truth that will help prepare you for a marriage relationship that will honor God one day. And then at the same time, we wanna speak directly into marriages. Those of you that are married right now to strengthen those marriages so that they might become everything that God would want them to become. Ladies, I'm sure many of you, as you were growing up, as you were a teenager, like you had this dream of finding the one, like the perfect one, uh, this perfect ceremony, right? The, the dress, the flowers, like everything that goes with it, the perfect ceremony, right? Then you were gonna have the perfect little house and then you were gonna have your perfect kids and you already had your perfect names picked out for each one of your kids, right? You hadn't talked with your husband about it because you don't have a husband. Maybe you didn't have a boyfriend at the time, but, but you already had those perfect names picked out and then you had the perfect dog, right? and the perfect dog name. It wasn't a cat in your dream because that would be a nightmare. But in your dream, like you had the perfect dog already with the perfect name already picked out. Okay, don't, don't raise your hand if that was you. My guess is that, that was a lot of you ladies. Okay, dudes, my guess is your dream was a little bit different. My guess is your dream went something like this. Man, I can't wait to have sex twice a day. That was your dream, okay? Don't raise your hands if that was you. Okay, don't, don't raise your hands, all right? But my, my guess is, is your dream was just a little bit different than the ladies. My dream is, my, my guess is your dream kind of looks something like that. But then for all of us, husbands and wives, how many of us know that we're still dreaming that dream to this day? Okay, no, just kidding, don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> don't raise, no elbows, okay? No, no, no hands, no, no elbows. You see, isn't it interesting that sometimes, a lot of times even, our expectations of what we hope marriage is going to be fall way short of what it actually is. Like, I don't mean to be like a Debbie Downer. I know some of you are single and you're like, oh man, like that's kind of, that's, that's harsh, but it's just true. We, we have these lofty, very lofty expectations, even idolized expectations of what we think, what we picture this marriage relationship is going to be. And then reality hits and it usually falls way short of what we expect. And as we look around, I think if we're honest, as we look around and those we love, man, marriages are, are struggling. And depending upon what article or book, right, or survey you study and read, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 50% of marriages don't make it. That's, that's horrifying, right? 
If, if you knew, like if you knew that like in any other area of your life, something important you, that you could lose it and there was a 50% chance that you could lose it, don't, don't you think you would like approach it differently? Like you'd have much more serious approach. You'd be dramatic in your preparation and you do almost everything possible to eliminate that potential danger. If it was 50% chance that you could lose something so valuable. You see, most people are not spiritually prepared and equipped to handle marriage. And that's just the truth. But God designed marriage. He ordained marriage. He created it. And so it just makes sense. If he's the designer, right? If he's the creator, the ordainer of the marriage relationship, then it just makes sense that we would have to do it his way. Like, like we could try to do it our own way, but, but then we're just going to mess it up. And I think a lot of us have been there before. I know I have. Like when you try, just try to do marriage your own way, right? You're, you're going to mess it up because you're not the creator. You're not the designer. God created the marriage relationship. And so if we want to experience his best, then we have to do things his way. So is a great marriage possible? Absolutely. Is a fun, vibrant, godly, God-honoring marriage possible? Absolutely. And so that's what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks. Four vows. And if you got your app, now's the time to open it. The City Church love it. Go to message notes. You can follow along with us. The notes and verses and everything are there. You can even fill in the blank as you go. It's a great way to take notes and just lean in and engage in our time together. If you don't have our app, you can download it in your app store. It's called the City Church Love It. Click message notes and then you can follow along. But four vows over the next four weeks to experience God's best in marriage. This week, here's what we're talking about. Number one, the vow of priority. The vow of priority. In week two, next week, we're going to talk about the vow of pursuit, of pursuing one another. In week three, we're going to talk about the vow of partnership and what that looks like. And then in week four, we're going to talk about the vow of purity. Today, we're talking about the vow of priority. You see, there's this common belief in our world today, and, and, it, and it really starts when you're a child. Our, our kids are taught this. We were taught this from an early age, from Disney princess movies, from fairy tales, love story, love songs. It's this common idea that to be really fulfilled in this life, you have to meet the one. Like to be really, really happy, you've got to meet the one. To have a life that has real meaning, you've got to meet that one perfect person. Like that gives you goosebumps, right? That, that, that makes the, the hair on the back of your neck like stand up when you're around them, right? That, that makes that love song that you love, like it just makes perfect sense because it's about that one perfect person. It, it's the one perfect person that you're looking for that just, you're, right, you're thinking, man, I'm just gonna be able to buy all the cards, right, at the drugstore. Every Hallmark card, like I just, I, that's it. it's about the one perfect person. And if you really wanna, be fulfilled in this life, you gotta find the one. To be happy in this life, you've got to find the one. We've grown up, we've been, been indoctrinated with this from a very early age. But here's what I'm hoping and praying. That today, that through this series, here's what I'm hoping and praying. That some of you, after today, you're going to think very, very differently. Instead of saying, like, to be really fulfilled in this life, I just gotta meet the one. Like, like I just met the one. He's so adorable, he's so cute. He's actually got a job. The last three guys didn't have a job, but this guy has a job. Normally they're addicted to like their PS5 or six or seven or whatever we're on now, I have no idea, but he doesn't even know what a video game is, right? She's amazing. 
I love when she worships. She's so cute. Like, I just met the one. Here's what I'm hoping. Here's what I'm praying. Like, after today and through this series, I'm hoping some of you, instead of saying, like, I think I just met the one, you're going to say, I think I just met the two. Like, maybe I just met the two. Like, I... It's not about finding this one anymore. It's not about finding this perfect one anymore to have this really like fulfilled and happy life. Like, like, no, I'm, I'm hoping to meet the two. I'd like to meet the two, or maybe I've just met the two. He's so amazing. He has a job. She's so amazing, right? She loves God. I think I just met the two. And why would you be excited about meeting the two? Because whether you're single or married, here's what you've got to understand. You must get this today because God is your one. This is why you would be excited to meet the two because God is your one and your spouse is your two. God is your one and your spouse is your two. Jesus said this clearly that the First commandment was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. There's one time this Jewish uh, religious, religious leader is asking Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment? What do I need to do to inherit, inherit eternal life? What's the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus says back to him, he says, well, well, how do you read the law? What does the law says? And this Jewish religious leader sums up the law by saying this in Luke 10, verse 27. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind. And Jesus says, that's right, go and do it. That's right. That's the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul, with all of your heart, with all your strength, with all of your mind. Like above everything else, God must be number one. And then the second commandment, after love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the second commandment then is to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's God first, and then people come next. And so to have a marriage that honors God, we put God first in our relationship, and then our spouse is number two. Number two, when you study the book of Colossians like we did over a year ago, if you were here for that, we went verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And what you'll notice in the book of Colossians is Colossians chapter one is all about Jesus. I want you to pick up on something here. There's a flow. Colossians one is all about Christ. Colossians two is all about you in Christ. What does it mean? What is your identity in Christ? And then in Colossians two, it begins to to flow into your identity in the faith family that you existed in this spiritual family. So it's about Jesus, then it's about you and Jesus, and then it's about you and your spiritual family that you've been born again into. And then it starts talking about husbands and wives in Colossians. And then it talks about kids. And then it talks about work, right? That's the flow in Colossians, to live a God-honoring life. It's you know Jesus, Colossians 1. You were made by Jesus for Jesus. So know Jesus. And then you need to know who you are in Christ and what that means for you. And then you need to be connected and devoted and committed to your faith family, to your spiritual family, to your church family. And then you're going to have a godly marriage. And then that's going to overflow into having godly kids and godly being a godly mom and, and dad. And then and then work. You see that flow of priorities there. God first. My spouse is second. To those of you that one day hope to be married, I know some of you are single and you're like, no, that's not for me. Like, or you're single again and you're like, I'm good. Trust me, man, I'm good. Like, listen, whether you're married or single, and I've said this before, like when we're talking to single people, like married, you should be rejoicing. 
Because you know, like, hey, we're, we're, we're preaching maybe to your kids or to your friends or whoever it is, right, to, to help prepare them for a godly marriage. If you're single and we're talking to married people, you should be rejoicing because you're in a spiritual family and your prayer is that these marriages are, are healthy and God-honoring and that they're experiencing God's best in marriage. So, so it doesn't matter whoever we're talking to at any given time. We should all be rejoicing because we're a spiritual family and we want what's best for each other. But if you're, if you're single and you are hoping, you're single again maybe, and you are hoping to be married again one day, then, then your vow would be this. I'm going to seek the one while preparing for my two. I'm going to seek the one while preparing for my two. I read this story about this lady in Andy Stanley's book called The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. And the story is about a girl named Denise, and it went like this. Denise, Andy says, was a girl, Christian girl growing up and then in college, and she began to walk away from Jesus. And she got into all kinds of partying and drugs and alcohol and sex and, and everything that went with that. And, and one day, Denise was at a sorority party. She met the most amazing Christian guy. She called her mom and said, Mom, this is the guy. This is the one. I met the most amazing Christian guy. Like he's perfect, he's godly, he's a leader. I think he's amazing. And the mom just said very tenderly, but very truthfully, sweetheart, you need to understand. If, he, if he's everything you're saying, a guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. Denise said she literally fell to the floor in a puddle of tears and cried and cried and cried because her mom was right. She said there was no denying it. This was a defining moment for Denise as a single woman in a flash, the values, beliefs, and childhood faith she had put on the back burner flooded her soul. She was overwhelmed with who she had allowed herself to become. So in that moment, she decided to become the type of person, the person she was looking for, was looking for. In that moment, she decided to change everything that wasn't aligned with who she wanted to be. By her own admission, there was a lot that needed changing. Priorities, values, friendships, where she would and wouldn't go, and who she would and wouldn't go with. You could put any dude, you could put almost any girl, you could put almost any one of us in that story, right? And Lord, are we thankful for the grace of God? But here's what Andy said about that story and, and, and so many like it in his book called The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. He said this, here was the challenge. You're single. You're gonna become the one. The one you're looking for is looking for. Everyone's looking out for the one. Like, I, I got to find the one. And he said, stop trying to find the one, become the one. Like, that's what you need. If you're single and you're looking to get married, like, that's your focus. Become the one, the one you're looking for is looking for. Drop all this. I've got to find the one. No, you're going to become the one. You're going to seek the one while preparing for your number two. I'm gonna live for God. My whole life's gonna be devoted to him. He's king. He's first in my life. I'll seek the one while he prepares me for my two. So, that, so that, that's the vow of priority if you're single. The vow of priority goes like this if you're married. It says this, I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. That's the vow of priority if you're married. I, I, I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. In Genesis chapter two, Adam was 
living and he's gardening, right? He's tending to the garden of Eden. He's, he's, like, a, he's like a gardener and he's naming the animals, right? And the, the Bible says that God says uh, it's not good that Adam's alone. Like it's not good for this man to be alone, right? And so the Bible says there's no suitable helper or partner for him. And so the Lord God puts Adam into this deep sleep. He takes out a rib, he forms Eve, and then Adam <coughs> wakes up and Adam sees her and he sees her, right? Like in all of her glory. And he's like, whoa, man, whoa, man. And so he named her woman. Some of you are slow to get it. Yeah, I'm a dad. It's a dad joke. Okay. All right. I promise I won't do that again. Okay, so, so Genesis 2.24 says this. This explains, watch this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined or united to his wife and the two are united into one. This word leaves means to loosen or relinquish and then joined is this super deep Hebrew word that means to stick to someone like glue. It, it means that this is someone you're like allegiant to and you're pursuing. It's not like something that happens in a ceremony alone. No, th this word is so deep. It has implies this ongoing, continuing relationship in pursuit of one another. So, so that primary relationship in your life was your mom and your dad. So you honor them, right? You're honoring your parents. That's, that's the primary relationship in your life when, you, when you're growing up, the Bible says. But, but then... Uh, when, when you get married, you leave your father and mother and you're united to your spouse and two become one. And this new relationship, this, this, this spouse now that you've been united to becomes your priority. It becomes the primary relationship in this life that you are devoted to. So, so God is your one and your spouse becomes your primary human relationship after God, the, the problem is, is that so often we think, we've been trained to think, you have to meet the one just to be happy, that you have to meet the one to be fulfilled in this life. But when you believe that your spouse is your one, here's what usually happens eventually. Like you start out idolizing them, they're, they're the one, I gotta find the one. You start out idolizing and whatever you start out idolizing, you always end up demonizing. You idolize, and then you demonize. We do this with every Texas Tech coach that has ever come through this city, right? <laughs> oh, they're the best. They're the greatest. They're the savior. They're the one, right? They're going to lead us to seven and five, right? I mean, that's the promised land for us, but they're the one, right? They're the one. They're so amazing. They're, they're so perfect. Like, we do this, right, with, with, with whether it's a, a boyfriend or a girl. Like, they're the one. I've got to meet the one. I've got to find the one. And they'll, they'll fix everything. We idolize them, but then later we, we demonize. So, so here's what this can look like. Ladies, maybe he's so laid back. He's so, he's so relaxed. And then you get married and you demonize him. He's a lazy bum. He won't mow the yard, right? Guys, we do the same thing. You idolize, then demonize. She's so organized, She's driven. She's amazing. You get married, you demonize. She's going to drive me crazy, right? I need someone in the name of Jesus to deliver me from this woman, okay? So we idolize and then we demonize because you're asking your spouse to meet a need they were not designed to meet. You're looking to your spouse to meet a need that God is designed to meet. 
This is kind of what happens when you're dating. You make your girlfriend your priority. You make your boyfriend your priority. Maybe when you get married, you're still the priority for a little bit. But then what happens? Kids come along. And what happens when kids come along? Suddenly, instead of the marriage relationship being the priority under God, the kids take on that primary like relationship in our lives and they become the priority and then the husband might get a little bit jealous and begin to say I'm like I'm jealous of your like your time with the kids and so then he pours himself more into work well then what happens a crazy cycle starts and then maybe she pours herself more into work or she goes even harder and pours herself even more into the kids and you've got this crazy cycle where kids become the priority or work becomes the priority and because of that jealousy there's just this crazy cycle that's going on. You see, whenever anything takes the place of God or takes the place of the priority of the marriage relationship, even something good, when those priorities are out of order, your marriage can never be what God intended it to be because you're not living according to the God-ordained priorities. When I was a sophomore, junior at Tech, or at Wayland Baptist, rather, I started out at Tech, I transferred to, to Wayland. I got my first job as a full-time youth pastor. And so my, my schedule was full. I was still in college, so I would work all day and I would go to school at night. So, so here was my week. Monday, work all day, go to school at night till like 10 o'clock. Um, Tuesday, work all day, go to school at night. Wednesday, work all day, church at night. Thursday, work all day, school at night. Friday, work all day, off on Friday, off on some Saturday, depends on if there were some youth events or things like that that we were going to, right? Sunday, church almost all day, in morning and at night. That was my week. And that went on for almost a year. And I'll never forget, Darby and I, when we were first married, we lived in this duplex right off of 34th in Indiana. And I will never forget coming home one night in our duplex and Darby is like on the ground, she's crying. She's like, I've had enough of this. I can't take any more of this. And I was devastated. I was like, Mel, oh, I mean, I was scared. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I've, I've like, I've messed this up. Like, this is, this is not good. And so we, we talked, like, I realized like there's some things I got to change. We, we called my, uh, my former youth pastor who married us and who I had worked for and was like a mentor to me. And we talked with him and his wife. And, and so, so we had to change some things. I had to change some things specifically and we needed some outside help. We need some outside help. Help, And there's been times in our marriage where we've needed a third party. We've needed some outside help and we've gone to see a counselor that we've gone to over the years. Sometimes it hasn't been even regarding our marriage. It's like a disagreement that we've had about the kids or, or whatever. And so we go to that Christian counselor and we get that, that help. But, but here's the thing. It wasn't something necessarily bad that got in the way of our marriage. It was actually something good that was in the wrong place. You follow me? Like it, it wasn't... I didn't have my priorities in line. And so our, mess, our marriage suffered because of it, because it's not always something bad. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's something good that is out of place. And we have to live according to these God-ordained priorities if we wanna honor God and have the best marriage that God desires for us. You see, a lot of people think that jealousy is always wrong, and that's just not the case. There's a, a righteous, like a legitimate, holy kind of jealousy and in fact, one of God's attributes is that he is jealous. 
Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse five. It says this, God says, you must not bow down to them or worship them. He's talking about these idols, these false gods that are not gods at all. He says this, for I, the Lord your God, what's this word, M-A what? Jealous, I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. God says, I'm not gonna tolerate you loving something or worshiping something or being more devoted to something than you are to me. I will not tolerate it. Look again, Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. God says this, you must not worship any other gods for the Lord, watch this, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. God is jealous about his relationship with you. There is a legitimate, holy, righteous kind of jealousy. And God says, I'm jealous for my relationship with you. I did a word study on the jealousy of God. And it's all throughout Deuteronomy, like all throughout Deuteronomy. It's all throughout the book of Psalms. It's all throughout the prophet Ezekiel and the rest of the prophets. I mean, here's what the Bible is saying. Our God is a jealous God. He's jealous for his relationship with you and he will not tolerate you putting anything in a place of worship, love, or devotion, or value above him. He will not tolerate it. So there's a sinful jealousy, but there's also a legitimate jealousy. And anytime we put anything ahead of God, he's legitimately and righteously Jealous, it's called an idol. If you put anything ahead of God, it's called an idol. And so then he has the right because of who he is, a holy and righteous God to be legitimately jealous because God says, I must be number one. And so, so that's why every now and again, because we were created in the image of God, like in his likeness, that's why every time we find ourselves in marriage and we're like, man, I'm a little bit jealous of your time with the kids because while like honestly, obviously truthfully, like we, we need to have time with the kids. Our kids are gonna be a priority, right, in our family. But our marriage relationship be, should be the priority to keep it strong so that we can even be a blessing to our kids. That's why sometimes, every now and then, you find yourself in marriage and you're like, well, I, I'm jealous of your time with the kids or I'm jealous of your time with your friends or, or playing golf or hunting. Like, if you're always out doing something else and you're never at home, like, making your marriage a priority, that's a legitimate jealousy. It's a legit, it's a holy and righteous jealousy that we have received from the Lord because we are created in his image. Some people are jealous over their spouse's phone because they sit on the couch and never interact because one or both are always with their face in the phone. Sometimes it's in bed, you're laying next to each other and all you do is spend time on your phone. Like, that's not what that bed is for, folks. It's not for looking at a screen when you're laying right next to each other. Some spouses are legitimately and righteously jealous of their spouse's time on the phone. So check this out, because sometimes it's not always the bad things that destroy a marriage. Sometimes it's the good things that are out of place in the relationship. So, so here's the challenge. You've got to protect the priorities. You've got to protect the priorities. God is number one, spouse is number two. God is number one, spouse is number two. And we've got to protect those priorities and do whatever it takes to protect those priorities. If you're gonna get married later on in the future, embrace it today. If you're married today, and you're struggling in any way in your marriage, I can almost guarantee that you can trace it back to this root issue, that you're not putting God first 
or you're not putting your spouse second. If you want your marriage to grow, then you gotta serve God together. Seek him every single day. Pray together, be centered around God's word. Seek Jesus together. And yes, children are a gift from God. The scripture says they are a blessing. They are a gift from God. But if you wanna love your kids, then you gotta prioritize your marriage. One of the best ways you can be a blessing to your children is to strengthen your marriage. I mean, we've all seen this. Some of us have lived it, some of us have seen it, whether it's in our parents or grandparents or other people, we know your whole life, your whole marriage revolves around the kids, their whole life, their whole marriage revolves around the kids. That's the common interest that like keeps you together. But then one day the kids grow up, they leave the house and you look at each other and you go, who are you? And what did you do with the person I married 20 or 30 years ago, right? Suddenly you don't have any intimacy because your whole life has revolved around your children. You see, here's what you've got to understand about your children. Your children are a temporary assignment. Your children are a temporary assignment. You will have them for 18 or 19 years, unless you have a millennial, and then you might have them for 30, okay? But regardless of how long that is, they are a temporary assignment. Your marriage, however, is until death do us part. It is not until we're not happy anymore. It's not until you're not meeting my needs anymore. It's not until something better comes along and like, oh, time to trade in for a new model. No, while children are a temporary assignment, your marriage, watch this, is a lifetime commitment. Your marriage is a lifetime commitment. Your marriage is a permanent God-honoring commitment. And that's why we have to continue to prioritize it even above our children. You want your children to succeed in marriage, you must model it for them. And so guys, like men, I wanna talk to you for just a second. Like there's this God-given desire in our hearts and willingness, like just in who we are and our very makeup, like to protect and to like be willing to like give up our lives for our wives and our kids. That's a, that's a God-given like holy thing that God has placed inside of us to be protectors and, and to be willing. Like I think all, almost all of us would probably say, yeah, I would, I would fight for and die my, for, for my wife and my kids like anytime, like, I, like no problem at all. Listen to me. That, that is a holy and God-given desire and attribute that you have inside of you to, to wanna lay, be willing to lay down your life for your kids, to, to be willing to die for, the, for your wife and kids. But, but, but God is also calling you. That, that, that way that he's kind of wired you to protect, like, like he, he's also, God is also calling you to, to like use that to live for them. Not, not just die, but like, to live for them with that, with that same passion and intensity and protective nature. To live for them with that, with that same kind of protective, caring nature. Guys, when things aren't right in your family, God is looking at you. And you can say all day long, well, yeah, but you don't understand like my wife, like you don't understand, like I get it. Like I totally get it, I understand. But regardless, God is looking at you. It, 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 like, 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 let me show you. In the Garden of Eden, when there's a problem with Adam and Eve, right? Eve takes the fruit, 
God comes down into uh, the, the garden and God says, Eve? No. God comes down in the garden and he calls out for Adam. Adam, where are you, bud? Adam comes out of his hiding place and God says, what happened? And what does Adam try to do? Shift the blame. Well, it's this woman that you put here, you know, put me here with, like it's her fault. You, you pass the blame, you stay the same. Yeah, but God, you don't understand, like she took the bed, she gave it to me. You pass the blame, you stay the same. God came to Adam. Adam, bud, dude, what, you know, what happened here? What's going on here? God came to Adam. He, he, he held Adam accountable for what happened in his family. And you can try to pass the blame just like Adam did, but you're just gonna stay the same. God came to Adam. And when things aren't right in your family, God is looking at you. Like, I, I wanna give you this picture. Adam was like a gardener, right? He was like the first gardener. He, he was tending to the, before Eve ever came along, like he's tending to the garden and he comes along and, and he's, still, he's still tending to the garden, right? He's tending to the, to the garden of Eden. Adam was like this, like this first gardener that had to care for and, and make sure like this, this garden that God put under his care was flourishing. Men, you are the chief gardener in your family. Like the Bible makes that clear. You're the chief gardener. It's not that your wife or the mother of your kids, it's not like she's, a, she's not a gardener too, right? It's not like she's not responsible uh, too. It's not like she's not accountable to God too. That, that, that is all true. But, but the Bible is clear. You are the chief gardener in your family. And so I just wanna kind of paint this picture for you because sometimes when, when we talk about this, men have this like chauvinistic, like authoritarian, like harsh view of what it means to be the leader in their family. And, and that's not it at all. You're like a gardener. You're like a chief gardener that is tending for and caring for the garden that is your family. And, and so what does any gardener have to do? They have to tenderly and compassionately and intentionally like take care of that garden, like pull out the weeds, water the plants, right? That's what a, a gardener has to do. It's not some authoritarian, harsh leadership. And it's also on the other side of it, it's not some passive or aloof or kind of punting of the garden to your spouse. It's not that either. You, you are the chief gardener. And that takes compassion. That takes a tenderness. That takes love. That takes mercy. That takes strength. It takes being spiritual. Scripture says as the chief gardener in your family, men, all that means is you're the, the chief servant. You're the one that goes first not with some harsh authoritarian style of like leadership, that's, that's not it. Jesus made it clear that the, the leader is the one that goes first. It's just, it just means you're the chief servant. You go first to serve your spouse and to serve your kids, to serve your family. You go first to lay down your life. That's all that means. You're the chief gardener, you're the chief servant. 
And if your family is not flourishing, men, the Lord is looking at you. But, but hear me, it's not like this. And it's not with his finger out. It's not, how could you? And it's not what's wrong with you. It's like, it's like God in the garden with Adam. Adam, why are you hiding, bud? Come out. Like, let's chat, let's fix this. How do we know that? Well, we see it again with Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Peter messes up, Peter screws up, he denies Christ. He's broken over his sin. Jesus is risen from the dead. Peter sees Jesus on the shore, thinks it's him, says, that's the Lord. He's in a boat. It says he, he jumps out of the boat. He's running through the, the, the sea to get to the shore, to get to Jesus. You would think he's messed up, right? You, you, would, you would think he would run, run and hide from Jesus, but no, he jumps out of the boat. He runs to Jesus. He gets to Jesus. And is Jesus like, son, what were you doing? How could you do that? Why, why did you, why, how could you do what you did? No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus puts his arm around Peter and says, let's go for a walk and says, do you love me? That's arms open wide. That's not arms crossed. That's arms open wide. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then what? Then take care of my sheep. Some of you are here today and this hasn't, this hasn't been you guys and I get it. Like it's not always me. It's not always me either. But you need to know your heavenly father. I know your earthly father may not have been like that, but your heavenly father has arms open wide and is saying, hey, quit hiding. Just come out, come to me, putting his arm around you with arms open wide and saying, son, do you love me? Do you love me? But God, I messed up. Like I haven't been getting it right. Like I get it, but do you, do you love me? Arms open wide, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then take care of your wife. Take care of your kids. I haven't been doing that, I get it. This day forward, like starting today. Like Paul said in Philippians, I'm forgetting what's behind, I'm gonna press on towards what's ahead. Quit making excuses about what you haven't done in the past. From today forward, you're gonna love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul, mind and strength. Son, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then take care of your sheep. Take care of that garden. So, so just a few challenges, guys. Number one, um, you are the chief gardener. You're the lead servant, which means this. You've got to take the leadership in protecting the priorities in your home. You gotta do everything within your power to keep God number one in your house. If you want things to be better in your house, then get your house to the house. Get your house to the house. Lead the way in your house, repenting of all idolatry. Number two, you're called to lay down your life for two things, men. Number one, for Christ himself, and then two, for your spouse. Lay down your life for your spouse. Give up your life. Like you're giving up your own needs for your spouse's needs. It's two before you. It's your two 
before you. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter five, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. What is love? I, I, I love my wife, I, I love my husband. Listen, the Bible has told us what love is. Godly, biblical love is a willingness to give up yourself for your spouse, regardless of their performance. In Romans chapter five, it says this, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us, he loved us and gave himself up for us in spite of our performance, not because of our performance, but in spite of our performance. And Paul says, marriage is just a picture of the gospel. And so just like Christ loved the church, men, you're gonna give your life up for your spouse. You're gonna lay down your life and put her needs before your own. It's two, it's your two before you. And then here's the third challenge. You gotta do whatever it takes. Like something's not right in your house, you gotta do whatever it takes. Change jobs, be at home more, put your phone away, schedule some date nights, go see a Christian counselor. They're on our app. You go to our app, you hit that help tab at the bottom and there's a list of our Christian counselors that, that we recommend. Go to rehab. Talk to us, one of our pastors, about getting accountability for pornography, but do whatever it takes. It's so easy to make excuses, but the lazy people make excuses. Lazy makes excuses, love makes a way. Love finds a way. If you're lazy, you'll make excuses. You'll pass the blame, you'll stay the same. But love makes a way. So regardless of where you've been, from today forward, Here's the vow I'm challenging you to make. If you're married, this is the vow. I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. If you're single, here's the vow of priority for you. I'm gonna seek the one while preparing for my two. I'm gonna seek the one while I prepare for my two. And then for all of us, here's the big idea today. You will never be fulfilled until you do meet the one. But not like, the one like lowercase, right? Like you're never going to be fulfilled until you meet the one, like all caps, the one. Colossians chapter one makes it clear. You were created by Jesus for Jesus. Like you're on this planet to know and follow Jesus, to love and serve and worship Jesus. Like that's why you're on this planet. And so you will never be fulfilled in this life until you meet and follow and pursue the one. And his name is Jesus. He is the one you were created for. He is the one that died in your place for your sin on that cross. You, you fell short, you broke God's law. And so you deserve God's fine for sin because you broke his law. But God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place for your sin that you might be forgiven of your sin and made right with God. But, but then three days later, he rose from the, day, the, the dead. So not only is he the one that died in your place for your sin, but he's the one that rose from the dead. No one else has ever done that for you. No one else has ever conquered your sin and conquered death itself. No, he is the one. So give your life to him. Follow him. Pursue him. He's the one you were created for. His name is Jesus. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today is the day, now is the time. Give your life to Jesus. And if that's you, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. He's the one 
grace alone, by God, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the one. He's the one. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, God, for how it convicts us, but then comforts us and restores us and reconciles us, God, to right relationship with you and and into right relationship with each other. And and so, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would move and work, God, in this time as we worship. God, Holy Spirit, come and change our minds, soften our hearts. Some of us have a lot of pride in our hearts. God, some of us are very arrogant and prideful. And and God, we need you to come and to soften our hearts towards our spouse. God, some here are, are single and they've been dying to meet the one. And God, I pray that by the power of the Spirit tonight and today, they would, they would see that, that Jesus, you are the one they've been searching for and they would seek the one while they become the one. But God, whatever you're speaking to us, God, I pray that we wouldn't just hear these things and walk away, but, but God, they would transform us and then we would live these things out and apply them to our lives like wise people who are building a foundation on rock, on the one in his name is Jesus. It's in his name we pray.